Hi, hello and welcome to the second episode of our new Future in Finance podcast series. If you're totally new here, this is a podcast dedicated to helping you get qualified as a mortgage advisor by passing your CMAP exams. CMAP stands for Certificate in Mortgage Advice and Practice. And in today's episode, we're going to be looking at Unit 2 of the CMAP 1 textbook. If you want to know more about how we can help, you can head on over to our website, which is www.futureinfinance.co.uk. You can also find us on Instagram and on Facebook. Just search for at Future in Finance. All the information that you need is there. Please reach out. Please say hi. Ask questions. We would really love to hear from you. Okay, without any further waffle, I would love to introduce my co-host, my bestie, my money dumbass, and my now affectionately named finance muggle, Maria. Thanks for coming back for episode two. You are most welcome. So unit two of the CMAP1 study text predominantly focuses on government policy and its influence on the financial market. You ready to jump in? Brace, brace, brace. Cute intro music. Welcome back, Maria. How are you feeling about episode two? Ready to rumble. Perfect. So today we've got four objectives, and if the title has got you a little bit panicked, don't worry, we should get through all this in under our usual 20-minute slot, so it'll be a quick one, I promise. Our objectives for today are to have a really clear understanding of, one, macroeconomic objectives, two, fiscal and monetary policy, three, the role of the EU in regulatory financial services. Brexit. And four, the different levels of regulation. And as usual, we're going to break all this down. I guess a really good place to start would be to explain about the budget. So if you've watched the news, if you've looked on anything even remotely related to finance recently, you'll have seen this. Basically, the government outlines its fiscal policy in an annual budget statement that's usually been made by the Chancellor or whoever is in charge. But if I'm being honest, I've lost track. I'm not sure who made it last time. Um, at it, this point, it's like Survivor, isn't it? We don't even know who's in the Cabinet. It's who is this last man standing at this rate. Exactly. So it includes revenue plans and the taxation of individuals and big companies. So they speak about who they're going to give support to and who they're going to tax more. So just to be clear, Bezos good common working class people bad exactly. support the rich tax everyone who earns a living wage or not even mm, yeah kind of good job um i want to take a second and just box off a couple of words in there that might not make complete sense if you've not heard it before so fiscal policy is really the only one in there um it's a sentence that's used quite often in finance all it means, it's the adjustment of taxation levels to reach government objective objectives. So if anyone ever talks about fiscal policy, it's basically just the adjusting of how much tax certain people, individuals or companies pay in order to support everything else. Great, so we've boxed off fiscal policy, but we are going to circle back around to it in a little bit of time just to go through monetary policy as well. Um, but I wanted to move on to the objectives next. So... Every government has objectives. The idea is to keep the country running, keep it financially stable, <laughs> do everything that's kind of not being done at the minute. Um, 
But regardless, they have four objectives they're meant to aim toward. Aim towards? Aim, aim towards. Aim at? Aim at? No. Aim, to- aim towards. Aim towards. Achieving. Okay, something along those lines. Anyway, the first one is price stability. So the idea with that is it's just a low level of inflation. So every government sets themselves a target when it comes to inflation. They want to keep it around 2%. So Oh, okay. So I heard on the news this morning that the, the groceries, we are looking at an increase, an inflation price increase of 17.6%. Yeah, so that's wild. So target is about 2% and it, a 1% divergence either way is pretty good. So what we're getting right now is not good. Really not good. I think overall this year, it's already gone up about 11%. So it's wildly out of control. So marked out of 10 on that one, probably about a minus So we're already off to a bad start on objective one. Mm -hmm. Good. Okay. So that's that's a failing grade. Objective two is low unemployment. So the idea there is if you expand the economy, there's more demand for labour. So in an expanding economy, there should be low employment. Which generally works out pretty well. I don't think there's been any major issues, or at least nothing that I've seen on the news recently. I mean, I think we're also worried about how we're going to afford anything, even with jobs, that those who are unemployed just haven't got a fucking look in, because anyone who's currently employed is still panicking. Mm -hmm. Good, right? Objective two, average grade. Objective three is something called the balance of payment equilibrium. Now, all that that means is that the money that we're bringing in as a country is roughly about the same as what we spend on the imports of goods and services. Um, It's not something that ever really gets reported on, but it is something that needs to be remembered. I don't think it's a recent exam question, but balance of payment equilibrium. If you see it come up, you'll recognise it. So it's just a definition that needs to be known. Exactly. And then the fourth one is satisfactory economic growth. Uh, Again. I don't think we're there. Marks out of ten. So, three out of four, the government is currently failing on. And we're not even sure about the fourth one because we just haven't seen figures for it. So, if they were a student, there'd be cause for concern. Things might turn around. Ever the optimist. (laughs) Um, In practice, it's proved pretty impossible to achieve all of the objectives at the same time. And that's for a couple of reasons. So, if you want to reduce the rate of unemployment by means of expansionary measures such as lower interest rates and lower tax, there's then an increase in demands for goods and services, so inflation goes up. So to explain this a little bit more in real terms, if you have to pay less tax on what you earn, Mm -hmm. you then have more money to spend on stuff. Yeah. Therefore, you buy more stuff. Yeah. Everybody else is also buying more stuff. Yeah. So the in- the demand for for that stuff goes up. So the price of it goes up. That's inflation. Oh. So you kind of can't have one without having the other. So it's kind of what happened in COVID when everyone bought toilet paper and pasta. That's exactly what it is. And that hand is the best sanitizer. example that I can think of. Well done. Oh, okay. So don't be a moron. So since around the 90s, the approach in both the UK and in Europe has generally been to keep inflation at a steady and low rate. And I realised that if this is your first time joining us and you're not sure what inflation is, don't panic. I would recommend you head on over back to episode one. It's really good to listen to them in sequence if you can, because I will explain everything in order. And also it does follow the CMAP study guide text. So... If you're not sure, pop back on there, uh, drop me a message, comment, leave a comment. Leave a comment. Leave a comment uh, and I will get back to you. Um, 
But yeah, in order for the government to achieve their objectives, successive UK governments have set official targets, which I mentioned of around about the 2%. Um, and I have royally fucked this. I've just realised. <laughs> I'm looking at my notes and I've, I don't even know what I've done. Please hold, caller. I'll come back to you. Okay, we're going to move on to the next objective, which is covering monetary policy and fiscal policy. I know that we've already touched upon the fiscal policy stuff, so we'll jump right in on the monetary one. So monetary policy is a belief that inflation is caused by an increase in the supply of money. So the best way to explain that is if you go to a bank and ask for a loan or if you get a credit card or any form of debt that you can get yourself into, the banks control how much they're willing to offer you. So if they decide today that they're looking, they're only willing to offer you a tenner, but in a month's time they decide that they'll offer you a hundred grand, the supply of money is more. You're in more debt, but they are supplying more money. Even though you don't generally see it as cash, it's still there. So the government have an involvement in controlling that and controlling the the growth of the money supply to um, help keep everything stable. The, the way that they do that is through interest rates. Right. So if you want to get a mortgage today, um, in comparison to six months ago, you might have been able to get a 2% interest rate on your mortgage. If you go now, you might get a 6% interest rate on your mortgage, which doesn't sound like a huge jump. But when you look at what 2% is on £500,000... It is a lot of money. Yeah, the difference is massive. So the idea of the monetary policy is by controlling the interest rates, you control how much money is available, and it controls spending. Oh, okay. So if your if your interest rate isn't favourable, you're less likely to take the loan because it's bigger repayments, larger interest repayments. So less people will take that deal. Exactly. Oh, okay. So it's like psychology. Kind of, yeah. Oh. So the government will use a little bit of monetary policy in their budget announcements. and I feel manipulated. <laughs> I don't even want a loan and I feel manipulated. It's just how it works. That's really bullshit. Sorry. And then the other one is the fiscal policy, so it's just adjusting the taxation levels. Okay, well, I mean, let's not even go there because I feel like I'm going to go on a full rant about the government, not that I haven't already done that in both episodes. Uh, the other thing to remember about the fiscal policy is... Because it's related to taxation levels, that's how um, public sector sector stuff is funded. Right. So things like education, healthcare, transport, they are all taken into consideration for the budget. How do they fund those? And it's usually through tax of either people or companies. So in short, the government will use both of those policies to help run the country. And that's all that you need to know. It doesn't need to be overcomplicated just being aware of that's kind of how it works is enough to get you through the exam. Okay, so you don't need to go into the nitty-gritty details. You just need to have the broad overview of this is why this happens and how. Exactly. So cool. the exams, the mock exams from the London Institute of Banking and Finance that I've been going through, I haven't found any mock exam questions that relate to any of that, but your understanding of it is going to... Fundamental. It's fundamental to the system, so... Exactly, so it's basically going to support your learning for anything else that you need to answer. Okay, but you just need to understand how it works, why it works, and that it works, and that's that. Exactly. Cool. Our third objective for today was the role of the EU in financial services. 
Now I'm just going to take a really quick second and just explain that this is from the current text for the CMAP study guide. It is updated every year, so as things progress, I know we're out of Brexit now, that's all gone through, but the guidance that is in the textbook hasn't changed much, so if and when it does change in the next publication of it, I will update everything. But as of right now for 2023, this is the information that's under that section. Uh, we only really need to touch on this a little bit because it is covered more in later topics 17 and 25. So it's really just a broad overview, but this is a section where you need to get a pen because I have seen this bit in the mock exams. Um, so the only thing that we need to cover for this is that EU laws can take a number of forms. So the two most common forms that they take are called regulations and directives. So a regulation is something that's binding in its entirety, both in respect of what is to be achieved and how it's to be achieved. So if the EU tell you to do something and it's a regulation, they tell you how to do it and what to do. And you gotta. Yeah. And it's directly applicable to all member states unless there's a particular special dispensation for any country. Cool. The second one is something called a directive. Now, this is slightly different because each member state has discretion as to how they go about implementing whatever it is. So with a regulation, they will tell you how to do it, when to do it. With a directive, they will tell you that it needs to be done, but how you go about it is up to... It's usually up to the authorities of that particular country. Oh, OK, so it's like kids' normal weekday routine bedtime with mum and dad at home or mum and mum at home or dad and dad at home or whoever at home is going to be dinner, bath, bed. At the weekend with the grandparents, it's at some point you're going to sleep. You might be full of sugar and it might not be till 2am, but at some point you're just going to sleep. That is exactly the definition of between regulations and directives. So, so parent, grandparent. Yeah. Parent rules, grandparent rules. Mm -hmm. The parent rules are the regulations... It's got to be done and this is how it's going to be done. The directive rules are the grandparents. So this is what you got to do at some point, but how you do it is down to you. Exactly. Excellent. The only other thing to note with the directive is that it usually has to be achieved within a specific time scale, which is generally about two years. But um, again, it depends on whatever the rule is. But that's something that I have seen. So it has to be... a achieved within a specific time scale, but how they go about doing it is entirely up to them. Oh, okay. Perfect. All right, that's that bit boxed off. That was easy enough. One thing that I just want to touch on is the European system of financial supervision. So you can put your pen down. This is just a, just be aware of it, kind of a situation. So when we had the financial crisis back in 2007, for those of you who are old enough to know what that was, <laughs> um, it exposed weaknesses in the financial regulatory system right across Europe. So after that, the EU set up the European System of Financial Supervisions, or ESFS okay. for short. And its aim is basically to ensure consistent financial supervision across member states. Now, obviously, we stopped being a member of the EU on the 31st of January 2020 after the Brexit vote four years before. So there was a transition period, and during that time, we continued to follow all the EU rules, um, and I believe that we now have our own in place, although that will come up 
uh, in another topic, so you don't need to worry about that now. It's just... Uh, be aware that it's there and it exists. Exactly. This is the part of the episode that I feel there might be a theme where I have to say if you can hear a weird noise in the background. <laughs> we've got the podcast Sausage Dog propped right up and he is having some wild dreams. So if you hear anything, it's just the Sausage Dog. It's definitely not a hostage situation. No. Uh, so the last thing that we need to box off was the levels of regulatory oversight in the UK. I don't know why I struggled to get that sentence <laughs> out so much. It is quite, uh, it's quite Val Rich. Uh, so it's a five-tier system, and I'll read it out to you as it is in the textbook, and then I'll break it down a little bit further, because I think if you work it backwards, it makes way more sense. Okay. So Start from the bottom up. Yeah, exactly. So the levels of regulatory oversight in the UK are as follows. Number one, you've got the EU legislation that impacts all of the financial services industry. Number two, you've got the Acts of Parliament that set out what's been set out by the EU. Number three, you've got the regulating bodies that then monitor and regulate all the rules across all the sectors. So that's the FCA and the PRA, which we will touch on in another episode, so don't worry too much about that now. Number four, you've got the financial institutions themselves, so the banks, the building societies, the mortgage companies, the credit card companies, the life insurance companies, all those guys... Yeah. And then number five, you've got the schemes that cover customer complaints. So the biggest example of that would be the financial ombudsman service. So you again, you don't need to remember this word for word, but the easiest way of doing it is to work it backwards. So if you imagine yourself as the customer... Got it. ...and you deal with number four, which would be the loan provider, the mortgage company, the bank. Okay, yeah. So for the first time in my life, I've taken out a loan. Yeah. Cool. And then they are regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, who are like their big daddies, basically. Okay, so they have an oversight over the the operating of the banks, the mortgage companies, the insurance companies, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Okay, got it. They take instruction from Acts of Parliament. Okay, so they have to operate along what is enshrined in law by our government. Yeah, and the laws from government come from the EU regulation at the top. Oh, okay, so going back to the grandparents and grandparents, the regulations and directives of the EU. Exactly. Then we go to Acts of Parliament, so they get enshrined in UK law. Mm -hmm. And then the financial conduct authorities of this country make sure that those laws are being followed by the guys who are just under them, which are the banks and the mortgage companies and stuff. Yep. And then it's just little old us at the bottom dealing with the trickle-down. Yeah, and then okay. we've got number five, which comes as a kind of sideline, which is the Financial Ombudsman Service. So I've kept them separate, and that's just... It makes the journey a little bit easier. OK, but so where do they come in? They would come in if you dealt with a bank and you didn't like the process and you'd made a complaint and they hadn't resolved the complaint, you can go to the Financial Ombudsman Service who would then independently investigate that complaint. Oh, OK, so they're kind of like a referee? Yeah, exactly. So that's why I've kept them separate. So you've got the four clusters together that follow kind of like the great-grandparent, the grandparent, the parent, yeah. and the you rule. Yeah. And then you've got the financial ombudsman service who sits it's like the, the gin that. aunt who occasionally comes in and just deals with everyone's family trauma and makes sure that everything flows better. Or somebody that married in. Yeah, exactly. Or someone that married in. Yeah, the gin aunt might be a little... Um, a little too liquored up to help. But they are independent, so they're just outside of it slightly. Uh, okay, like a best friend. There you go. Got it. Cool. 
cool. Perfect. All right, that's everything from us. I realised I said this was going to be a short episode today and it was, in fact, exactly 20 minutes. So I apologise. I hope that you have, at the very least, learnt something today. At most, maybe you enjoyed yourself and had a bit of a laugh along the way. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, If you like what you heard, please give us a like, a follow, share it, tell your friends, tell your family, tell the strangers you sit next to on the bus. We are Future in Finance. You can find us at Future in Finance on Instagram and Facebook. And the website is www.futureinfinance.co.uk. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening. And we will catch you next time. Thank you very much. Cue outro. Ooh, ooh, ooh.